Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. We're talking about superstition. This is just a two-week sermon series um, around the idea of superstition because, I mean, how often does St. Patrick's Day fall on a Sunday? Um, I don't actually know the answer to that. That's a, that's a, that's a hypothetical question, meaning not very often. Uh, basically, I said, man, let's talk about um, some superstition. And I was kind of unaware as to the reaches of superstition. Uh, I knew about a few things, you know, don't walk under an open ladder, uh, don't open an umbrella in a building. I did both of those last Sunday, and I'm still here today, uh, entirely healthy, no car accidents, no bad juju. Um, and uh, I got my shirt on, I had to cross out this word right here, um, but the, the other two still apply. But anyway, I, I, I knew about a few of those things, um, but I was unaware about just a plethora of superstitions and the way that superstition has found its way into our lives, and sometimes for generations. I was talking to somebody last night, and they, uh, like every morning, they, they, get, they get some water on their hand, and they put it behind their knee. Uh, has anybody heard of that? Anybody heard of putting the water behind your knee? Apparently, it keeps you from getting sick all day. So... There you go. Very superstition. Uh, anyway, it, it, uh, like uh, they're, they're also telling me that, 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 that you, you shouldn't, like when you get out of bed in the morning, if, if you're married, you shouldn't cross over your spouse to get out of bed. Has anybody heard that one? Or you shouldn't. And if you do, you got to cross back over and then get out the other side of the bed. So I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't know who is crossing over their spouses anyway. I don't know what kind of people do that. Like, like, you know, I'm just going to roll out of bed. Just, excuse me, you're, you're a human right there. I'll just roll right over you. I mean, are you really that lazy? Like, you can't wait? Or, I, I mean, come on. Like, let's be civilized about this. I mean, just let's, let's, let's think this through. Anyway, they, uh, like, if you go in, like, if you go out a window, you have to come back in the same way. Or vice versa, in and out, you have to do the same thing. If you, if you hear an owl at night, you have to cuss at it. Um, I, that could explain some of the what I thought was Tourette's. It could explain some of that. Oh, I see. You're just kind of warding off the bad spirits by, you know, cussing. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm, I'm fine now about all of these strange kind of superstitions. Eddie was talking about just growing up. Uh, he grew up Catholic, and they always had a necklace with a, with a crucifix on it. And oftentimes it would be they have a little gold square on the back of the necklace, uh, and it was it was meant to sort of protect you, to keep you safe from I don't know bad things happening to you. And so uh, a superstition is anything really. It's Satan's substitute for faith. That that you that 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 you move your faith because it looks kind of like faith, right? This is unseen power. Oh, if I have this rabbit's foot, this unseen power is going to help me. Well, that sounds a lot like faith, which is why if you if you Google superstition, uh, you'll see a whole lot of atheist and agnostic websites that talk about Christians being superstitious because to them it's sounds very superstitious. Like you're believing in this unseen power you can't exactly explain. And so that's superstition. It's very similar actually to faith. Um, the difference though, as I talked about last week, is that, is that superstition changes the, the source and the, the substance of your faith. 
It changes what, what, what you're relying on. So as a Christian, I'm relying on Jesus to keep me healthy, to keep me whole, to protect me. I'm relying on God to be my defender. But it, with superstition, I rely on a particular um, activity that I do or a, or, a, or a necklace that I wear or water that I splash on the back of my knee or whatever it might be, this protocol that I follow. And when you start defining superstition in that way, you see that actually superstition isn't just the ladder and the umbrella stuff, but it can creep its way into the church as well. If I just pray this particular prayer, then, 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 then I'll have safety, right? I talked about last week about how different prayers have come into the church, and it's like, well, you have to pray the, pray the prayer of Jabez. Have you prayed the prayer of Jabez? If you haven't prayed the prayer of Jabez, and that's why you, God hasn't enlarged your territory, and if, if you weren't around in the 90s, you don't know what that is, but, you know, you, the, or the, 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 the putting on the full armor of God. Well, did you put on your armor today? You got to put it on, you know, and, and there's different superstitions that even in the church we have, it's like, well, if the pastor can, can lay his hand on me or if or if or if the pastor can prophesy over me it's like we put a lot of weight on things that we can see things that we can touch and things that we can do quite honestly if i just if i just go to church then okay i'll be all right if i just do this well that's superstition you're relying on something that you can do believing that it's going to do for you what only god can do and that's the danger is that it shifts our faith. And so what I want to see, man, what I'm believing is that God's raising up some people at City Chapel who have faith in Jesus Christ alone, who believe in his sufficiency, who believe in his power, believe in his love for them, and they walk by faith in Jesus, not in something that they can do, not in something that they can attain to or they can believe in, but in Jesus Christ alone to put their faith in the person the person of Jesus. And so that's, that's my hope, and that's what I've been seeing here over the past few, actually a couple of months of freedom ministry. That's really what it's about. It's about taking your faith off of yourself, off of a necklace, off of a rabbit's foot, and putting it on Jesus and watching him do stuff that all this other stuff couldn't do. All this other stuff couldn't handle, but Jesus is faithful. Man, you can, you can, you, you can trust Jesus. You can trust him. You can trust him. Anybody that's ever tested him has found out that they can trust him. You can trust him. He is faithful. He's not a good luck charm. He's not superstition. He is faithful every single time. You can trust him. He's trustworthy. And so that's, that, well, that was last week, talking about how it's a substitute for faith. Today I want to talk about how it affects our fear Webster's Dictionary defines superstition as an activity or a belief um, based off of, uh, there was a few things, uh, ignorance, um, that was one, uh, hopefully we sort of dealt with that, uh, but also fear of the unknown. So many superstitions, as I hear about them and as I think about them, and even, even the temptations I've had in my life to move my faith off of Jesus, is oftentimes based in what I'm afraid of happening. I don't want this to happen, so I have a fear of the unknown. And actually, like, uh, if, if, you, if you have some superstitious beliefs in your life, you are not um, the minority, actually. Uh, after, after last week's sermon, uh, a guy in our church, Nate, uh, he sent me a link to, to a study that was done in the UK in 2003 where they surveyed over 2,000 people. And they found in the survey, this is the UK, that 77% of them, um, identified as either like very superstitious, mildly superstitious, or maybe not superstitious, but maybe just stitious. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard that, but some people aren't superstitious. They're just 
they're just a little stitches. Uh, it's just a little bit. Uh, if you don't know, this is this is the Lord's show, so you need to you need to study this. Uh, there are many many great applications to life from the office. Um, so yeah, man, we need to do a whole sermon series on just the office. Just the office. Jesus in the office, I don't know, we'll, we'll figure it out, but um, it's like my favorite. Uh, anyway, you know, like a lot of people, you know, are, are, are either superstitious or slightly uh, stitious, just a little bit. Um, they also found that of those 77%, uh, there were three main factors of people uh, that were superstitious. Um, number one, they tend to worry a lot. So worry is a major uh, part of their life. Uh, those people that are superstitious tend to worry a lot. So I know none of you, that doesn't apply to any of you. That's everybody watching online, all those warriors watching online. Stretch your hands, let's pray over the camera. Um, uh, warrior, if you, if you tend to worry a lot, you're going to be drawn to superstitious. You're going to be drawn to, to good luck charms because it helps, it helps with this next thing, which is uh, number two, they also have a great need for control. They really want control. Once again, this doesn't apply to any of you. I'm sure you're fine with being out of control. But man, how many prayer requests have I got from people that basically they're saying, my life is getting out of control. Oh, no. Uh, that, that, that is a great fear for people who fear loss of control. And so superstition provides a, a sense of control which sometimes also faith can also provide a sense of control as well, that you can control your circumstances, you can get God to do different stuff for you, and thus you can end up truly being in control. Um, because, because many of us believe that we want good outcomes, and so we believe we know how to get to the good outcomes. And I think the truth of the matter is that God wants good outcomes for you as well. But he actually really knows how to get to the good outcomes. So uh, loss of control is a great fear. And then number three, they have a low tolerance for ambiguity. Ambiguity. <laughs> you might, yeah, uh, I don't know how to. Um, ambiguity means things that are vague, things that you're not. Uh, so, so, so to say something is ambiguous is to say that there's not a lot of details surrounding it. Like you want to know. Uh, like, okay, so, uh, uh, like, like, if you order something um, from Amazon, right, you want FedEx shipping it to you, because they tell you, like, when they're coming, the exact hour and date, like, you don't want UPS, because it might show up today, and it might show up tomorrow, you definitely don't want the post office, because Lord only knows where that package is, or what the details are surrounding it, right, so, so, so if you're kind of a FedEx kind of person, you probably have a low tolerance for ambiguity, you don't like things to be kind of wishy-washy, you like to know, what are the details here? And so these three characteristics are the characteristics of people in the UK survey um, that were most prone to superstition. I thought that was so interesting um, because these are, these are also tied to, I think, some sentences that fear tends to tell us. And so to, hello, Lord. So today I would like to, <laughs> uh, uh, it's just, you know, it's the ambiguities like it's like, do we silence our phones in church? I don't know, maybe, sort of, do whatever you like to do. It's just kind of out there, you know. Um, <laughs> um, but today I want to talk about three base. I want to talk about those three things really. Uh, 
And I suppose you could sum the sermon up in, number one, uh, if worry is an issue for you, Jesus says, don't worry. Specifically, he actually said that. He said it multiple times in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not worry. So um, point number one, don't worry. Number two, uh, see, we're moving through this really, really fast. We're going to get you out of here in five minutes. Point number one, do not worry. So stop it. That's my sermon point for that. Just stop it. That could work for a lot of weeks, actually. Stop it. Just stop it. Um, so point number one, don't worry. Stop worrying about your life. Don't worry about your life. By the way, Jesus said don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or what you'll wear. Um, because, the, because the Father knows what you need, right? So that's number one. But he also said, don't worry about the future. Don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because God's going to take care of it. No. I, I think Jesus is so funny. Like when he preaches, he said, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worry for itself. Like he said, don't worry about tomorrow because it's already so jacked up. <laughs> you don't even want to know. You don't even want to know how much is in tomorrow. You think today's bad? You ought to see tomorrow, you know? Like, Jesus, like, what? <laughs> Couldn't you encourage me? Couldn't you be like, don't worry about tomorrow because God's going to take care of it? No! He's like, because tomorrow's so messed up that you don't want to, you don't want to put, you don't want to get out a credit card, a, a, an emotional credit card and charge fear today based on what you're going to be getting tomorrow. Because, man, you already got enough today. We can only fit so much in each day. So just don't borrow from tomorrow tomorrow. Don't borrow from tomorrow. I like it. It rhymes. It must be true. Anyway, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus could have said so much around don't worry about tomorrow, right? Because uh, uh, fear is a liar. Cast your fear into the fire because fire rhymes with liar. So, you know, he could have just, but he didn't. And fear is a liar sometimes. I'm not making fun of that really, kind of. But anyway, he, he said tomorrow has got so much worry for itself. Don't worry about the future. So that's going to be my first point. I'll, I'll get to that here in a minute. But the second point is uh, God is in control. So you don't have to be. Boom. Second point done. Those of us that need control, just here's the deal. God's in control. You don't have to be. God's a lot better at being controlled than you. Um, so just it's cool. He's in control. But number three, uh, he doesn't always fill you in on the details. <laughs> There's going to be some ambiguity. He's sending stuff by... Uh, the post office, basically, or the Pony Express, even like he'll get he'll get stuff, he'll promise you stuff, but he doesn't to, he, he doesn't prime it to you. OK, it's not two days on FedEx. It's not overnight shipping. It's like he promised something. And then five years later, you're still wondering where that thing is. Can we get a tracking number on this? Do we have some kind of time when this is going to be arriving? Um, yeah, God doesn't give you the details. So don't worry. God's in control and he's not telling you what's going to happen done altar call come forward give your life to jesus come on down um that's 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 my sermon today um number one don't worry jesus says do not worry and this is what this is what fear tells us though because it's easy to say don't worry but why do people worry i think people worry because we we hear fear speaking to us and fear asks us a particular question fear says what if what if what if you lose your job? I know you haven't lost your job right now, but what if you lose your job? What if your loved one dies? What if uh, something happens to your children? What if something happens to your church? What if you get a divorce? What if you get sick? What if you get cancer? 
I mean, just all of the what ifs of the world. Fear, fear creates all these questions and presents them to us. We don't naturally want to worry. There's no reason why we should borrow from tomorrow. I'm going to use that. There's no reason why we should borrow from tomorrow. But we do because we're trying to answer the question. We're trying to, to answer the question, what if? What if uh, tomorrow Facebook's going to release all of your private photos? Well, clearly it's, it's, it's too late because, you know, I have already told Facebook in my post, Mark Zuckerberg already read my post, that he's not allowed to do that. So, um, you know, it's done. But this is the question, though. People will say, well, better safe than sorry. Like, people will send me emails or, or private messages saying, forward this on to 10 other people within 10 minutes, and if you do, you'll get 10 dollars and if you don't you'll get 10 curses and i'll respond back to people and i'll say do you really believe this brothers and sisters i mean you're a christian why are you sending me this nonsense like this is not like there's no way stop it just stop it well no but no but like like as a as a pastor i don't just want people to act well i want them to believe well and so i'll say why are you doing this and they'll say well it's better safe than sorry and I'm like, well, yes, that's probably a good motto, but the, the issue is where you're finding your sense of safety from. I am better safe than sorry as well. Thus, I am putting my faith in the word of God. I don't feel like I have to share something on Facebook for Jesus to want to bless me. I don't have to do something. I mean, he's already given his life for me, went to the cross for me. Does he really then expect me to share something to 10 people on Facebook that some knucklehead wrote and pasted? I mean, no, I don't need to buy his love for me. Why, dear brothers and sisters, are we, are we buying into this stuff? Like, well, but what if? What if it's true? What if, what if opening umbrellas in a building really does give you, I don't want to do it because just in case, what if? And, and so many people, they don't, they don't really believe in superstition, but the, the fear in their own life has found a target. Okay, what if, okay, here's what I know. This is what superstition does. It moves, see, fear and faith are, they, they come into your life together. They are not polar opposites. Uh, fear is not the opposite of faith. Sight is the opposite of faith, okay? <laughs> Scripture says we walk by faith, not by sight. It never says we don't walk by fear because fear and faith actually go together. They're two sides of the same coin. What you fear, you will also have faith in. What you have faith in, you will also fear. That's why Scripture constantly tells us to fear the Lord because he knows that when you fear the Lord, then you also have faith in the Lord, which is why people lose faith in the Lord, not because they lost faith first, but because they lost fear in the Lord. They stopped fearing God, and then after a while, they stopped having faith in God. These two things come into your life together. They're like, they're like twins. They come in holding hands. You can't have one without the other. Uh, you, can't, you can't just have faith without. So there's some level of fear that's good. To fear God is to recognize that he has ultimate authority of my blessings, I don't, that's why I say I don't have to share something on Facebook because God has already decided to bless me. If he's already decided to bless me, it doesn't matter who's decided to curse me. But if you don't fear God, then your fear has to find a landing place, a sticking place. And so superstition offers that place. It says, okay, fear this. And this is what you can do about it. 
This is what you can, this is something, this is, you can put some water behind your, if you're really afraid of getting cancer, just put some water behind your knee every day and you'll be, so it, it, it offers a sticking place for your fear. It redirects your fear off of a God who can do, who really can do things for you. And it puts it onto rituals and a necklace and, and a sharing something on Facebook that, that really cannot do anything for you. So the danger is not, well, well, you know, better safe than sorry. What if? No, the danger is that your faith would move off of Jesus. And this is, what's, this, is what, this is what annoys me, um, <laughs> or annoyed me recently. I don't, I don't live annoyed, but, um, but occasionally it just, it just bugs me. Things just bug me. And um, I, was, I, was, I was watching, like, a, it, was a, it was a give-a-thon, a telethon. It's, uh, some of you may have seen it. Um, I've been in those studios, and so I'm not against uh, but these kinds of things. But there was a, it's a Christian television station, and there's a, a minister there, and he's trying to raise money for the Christian television station, which... I'm all about that. I understand they need money um, to operate. We need money to operate. So I know that the kingdom of God requires money. And the way that we get that money is just from people giving of their own, uh, of their own money, just freely giving, um, which, is, which is amazing to me, which is astounding. When we first started our church, I was like, we started adding up all the stuff that we had to buy just every month. And I'm like, how in the world, like, how are we going to bring in that much money to pay for rent for the school, to pay for uh, speakers, and to pay for rent for the lights, and to pay for all this stuff, and the truck, and the gas, and the vehicles, and the, I mean, just so many things. Uh, in, insurance, and uh, uh, online donation fees, <laughs> good Lord. Uh, so there's a lot of money that goes into any organization, and, and I understand that. And he's, he's sharing that, and he's raising money for his organization. I'm cool with that. And, but the what bugged me is, is, is he, he was trying to raise, I think it was $1,100, like he wanted you to call in a $1,100 donation because of Psalm 111 something. I don't know. Uh, there was like a number attached to a scripture, which is a little cheesy, but it's all good. But he, but he started talking about how some of you, you have, you, have, you, have, you have sickness in your body. And I'm just believing that when you, that when you call in and give, and I'm going to pray over that specifically, and we're going to pray over that. And, you know, he's there in the room with all the little people on their phones, you know, ring, ring, hello, and all that. And he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray over that, and you're going to be healed, um, and, 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 and it's going to be awesome. And I, I, it started bothering me a little bit because, because I feel like God wants to heal people. And I feel like God has given gifts to people in the church to pray for people to be healed. And I don't feel like you should have to give $1,100 for someone to pray for you. And I'm kind of like, well, I'm not so sure about that. And I've been really thinking about faith and praying about faith. And so that's what he said. He said, because when you call and you give, that's an act of faith. And faith tugs on the heart of God. And it, and it, and it, and it, and it, and it calls on God to do things. And that is true. But I don't see where faith is donating $1,100 to this particular minister's ministry. I don't see where scripture says that. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's true. But not without donating to, to the televangelist. That's not what it says. And so I, I'm afraid that we can get even superstitious with regard. Really, it's like, it's, 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 it's kind of like spiritual prostitution. Like, like it's this thing that should be done for love, but it's done for money. Well, yeah, I mean, you should be healing people because God loves them and God wants to heal them. But now it's like, no, you need to call in and give money first. And, and to the church, like you should be giving money to ministries because you love God and you want to see his kingdom grow. But now you're doing it because, oh, now I can get healed. 
So on both sides of the coin, I'm not saying it's just all these ministers' faults. It's us as well. We're looking for some, some way to get healed because we really don't believe that God wants to heal us until we do something good for him. And this is dangerous. I, if you're giving a city chapel out of that motivation, stop. Stop giving because that's not helping you. You ought to give out of love. You ought to give out of just God's done so much for me. I want to bless his church. I want to bless his kingdom. I want to bless him. I, I, but, I'm, but when you do it for a good luck charm, when you do it because you believe, well, if I give, then God will bless me. Now, this turns into superstition, something you can do without having to trust the heart and the motivation of a loving father who just wants to bless you because he's good. Bothers me because we say, what if? What, what, what if I have this sickness? Well, okay, I, I will give financially to the church. I'll give financially to that ministry, and then God will like me, and then God will do something for me, and then I'll be healed. But no, uh, that's, this is not the direction of true faith. To be better safe than sorry. To, to fear the unknown is natural. But superstition moves our sight, says, okay, if you fear the unknown, let me give you something that you do know, that you can control, that you can hold on to. And so it simply swaps out the fear of the unknown with faith in the known. <laughs> and a promise of, of control. There's a, there's a story in 1940 of the German um, forces. They had the British uh, expeditionary and the French forces surrounded at Dunkirk. I think there was a movie done recently on this. That's off of the coast of northern France. The British Navy um, couldn't come and rescue them, and, the, and these guys just simply couldn't fight their way out. They were outnumbered, outgunned. It looked like no one was going to survive. The British and French w could be safe, and this is what was frustrating. They could be safe if they could just get across the English Channel and get out of France, but there was no time or no resources to stage an evacuation. So a British officer was sending a telegram to the war offices in London and uh, kind of explaining their situation and explaining their, their plan of what their plan was to try to sneak out in the middle of the night. Uh, and he, had, uh, he included this phrase, kind of at the end of it, three-word phrase that was powerful. He said, but if not. And so I, I love that because fear comes at you and says, what if? But faith answers the what if with this kind of phrase. But if not, or maybe you might be better to say even if. Uh, and in other words, uh, uh, London um, war offices, we're going to try to be successful here. But even if we're not successful, even if we're not successful, we're going to be faithful. Even if we're not successful, we're going to be faithful. You might just want to go ahead and make up your mind right now. Before the what if happens, before the tragedy strikes, before the funeral, before the divorce, before whatever it is that, 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 that fear is yelling at you, screaming at you, saying, what if this happens? You might want to make up your mind beforehand that even if that happens, I am going to be faithful to God. I'm going to believe in him. Here's, some, here, here's two truths that you ought to just declare over your life. Um, number one, God is good. And number two, I will trust him. God is good, and I will trust him. Even if I get cancer, God is good, and I will trust him. Even if my spouse leaves me, God is good, and I will trust him. Even if my child dies, God is good, 
and I will trust him. Even if I lose my capacity to preach and to teach and to pastor, even, even if I, all of my gifts go away, my talents, and nobody wants to listen to me anymore, God is good, and I will trust him. Even if people talk about me behind my back, even if my friends desert me, God is good, and I will trust him. You might want to make that decision before you even get into the fight, before you even, before the tragedy happens, because stuff is going to happen. Jesus said, there's enough worry. You don't even and want to know what's coming up tomorrow. But um, as long as it's today, why don't you just get a, a commitment inside of your heart that says, even if the worst is yet to come, even if my fear is going to be realized, like Job, even if what I feared comes upon me, I will not stop believing that God is good and that I am going to trust him. Even if you throw us in the fire and even if he doesn't deliver us, I will not bow to this because I've already made a decision before I got to the furnace that I would God is good and I'm going to trust him to decide this is how we fight worry we don't fight worry by putting these fearful thoughts out of our mind and ignoring them we fight worry by approaching the very thing that we fear and saying even if that were to happen God is good and I would still trust him my faith is not in circumstances working out. My faith is not in avoiding every bad thing that I hope doesn't happen. My faith is in a God who is good despite what happens. And my trust is going to be in him no matter what happens. I've already made up my mind. And because of that, man, 338,000 soldiers escaped on that night through the fog and through the, through the, through, through the darkness, they, they got on all kinds of rafts. Because you'll do whatever it takes when you've already decided that even if the, the Germans come, even if they hear us, even if we are going, if we're going to die tonight, we're going to die doing what we were called to do. We're going to, we're going to go down fighting. Even if the worst happens, I've already made up my mind what side of the battle line I'm going to be on. Even if faith Faith responds to fear and says, what if this and what if that? And faith says, even if those things, I've already decided that God is good and I'm going to trust him. I don't know who holds the future. I don't know what the future holds, but I know I know who holds the future. My hand, you might just want to put your hand in the hand of the one who calms the winds and the waves with a word from his voice, who walks on water, who raises dead people back to life. My faith is not in a rabbit's foot and it's not in a televangelist. <laughs> Come on. It's in Jesus Christ alone. No matter what may come my way, I believe that God is good and I will trust him. I will lean on him. I will believe in him. I will believe in the dark, what I saw in the light, even if whatever may happen. And so to, 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 to battle worry, we have to start with this, this statement, even if. But then fear also brings in another question to us, and it says, what if you lose control? Actually, fear tries to confuse control with power. Because last week I talked about how faith is power, and it is power. When, when, you, when you stand down a giant, stare down a giant with nothing but a few smooth stones and a slingshot, uh, you're not supposed to win that battle. Fear is power, though. It brings the unseen into the scene. It brings the invisible and it makes it visible. It brings the declarations of heaven and it, and it makes them manifested here on earth. Fear, is, uh, fear it comes against us, but man, faith has got power. And it is power. And so superstition tries to mimic that power by not offering us power, but offering us control. 
That's where I, that's where I want to read from um, Joshua chapter 5. Uh, because many of us, this is not an uncommon thing. We, we, we desire control because we truly believe that if we can control our environment, if we can control the situation, then we will get the best positive outcome. And Joshua, I think, was sort of like us. Joshua was a man of faith, uh, incredible faith, actually, when you read the first few chapters of Joshua and then subsequent chapters. This is a hero of the faith. And even this hero of the faith, he, he, he crosses over the Jordan, right? God parts the Jordan. He doesn't, they, don't, they don't swim across through faith and obedience in God's word. God parts the Jordan River, and they walk through on dry land. They go into the promised land, the land that God's promised to give them. And right there at the threshold of the promised land is the first enemy that they're going to face, and it's a place called Jericho. It's a place that was famous in the ancient world for its walls. People still don't know who built them because they were so thick and they were so tall and they were so powerful and they've been around for so, literally so long. The city of Jericho is actually a really pretty uh, cool archaeological um, site uh, to dig out the city of Jericho. They found that uh, within Jericho, um, there had been so many uh, families that, that lived in that city. And the way that they, they, they know that is because when they buried their dead, they didn't bury them out like outside of the town. Instead, you would, you would bury your, your, your ancestors under your house in uh, Jericho. That's how they did it. And so they found layers of skeletal remains um, based on different generations. These guys had been around for a while, and they weren't planning on moving. <laughs> like nowadays, we, you know, we, we, we live in a house, we fix it up, we flip it, we sell it, make a little money. These guys, when, when, when grandma and grandpa are under, are under the floorboards and great grandma and grandpa are under them and great, 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 I mean, you're talking, a long, you're not moving. So that's why they built these walls. Because they said, man, we are here to stay. We're not looking for a better place. Our history is here. Our family is here. I mean, they had a lot at stake. They weren't just going to give up a fight and just let the Israelites, oh, sure, you want to come in and take over? All right, that sounds good. They, weren't, they were not going to vacate their spot. And by the way, the enemy in your life is not going to easily move out either because he's been working on you for generations and generations and generations. He's not just going to give it up now just because, oh, you went to church a couple of times. Let them, you're, you're going to be in for a fight. And Joshua is in for a fight, and he knows that those walls are so thick, are so tall, that it's impregnable. Actually, there was two walls. They built one wall outside, and then another, and then up a little bit, and another wall. They built the thing on a mountain, on the side of a mountain. It was, it was in, impregnable. You could not get into it. And so Joshua does what any well-thinking person would do. He goes and checks it out. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, it seems like he's spying it out, like he's, he's trying to figure out if there's a crack in the wall, if there's some way that they can get in. He lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but as, a, as, as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. This is what theologians would call a Christophany. Uh, it's an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Most believe this is Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. And he appears to Joshua while Joshua is spying out the city of Jericho. Now, there's some odd things about this because Joshua is not a spy. 
I mean, he was at one stage in his life, but he is now, uh, he's like 80 years old, and he's, he's the commander of the army of the Lord. He's the commander of the armies of Israel. He's not only the commander of the army, he's also the president. He's also the vice president. He's also the, the dictator. He's, he's the big head honcho. Typically, big head honchos don't, 80-year-old big head honchos, don't go out and spy out the land. Like, okay, now, how are we going to do this? I need to really figure this out. Like, that's not usually how that works. But Jesus, I think Jesus knows what's going on in his heart. Jesus knows what's going on for Joshua. Joshua. Joshua knows that these walls are really thick, and he knows they're really strong because he had seen them before when he was in the promised land before. And he knows that if he takes all of those people and, and shows them where God has told them that they have to conquer, they're going to be like, uh, that's not going to work. How are we going to do that? So Joshua, like any good leader, is saying, look, you guys stay back and watch some YouTube. I'm going to go, just go for a walk. I'm just, uh, just going to go for a walk. And he's trying to figure out how can I tell these people about this without showing them just how bad it really is. Right, so he's thinking, all right, we need to go back. We need to do a two-week sermon series on, on how great God is and, and how, many, you know, how, how, many, how many times he's parted different waters for us because multiple times, I mean, the plagues of Egypt, that was a doozy. And so we need to build up their faith. We can't let them see. We can't let them see Jericho just yet. We need to build up their faith. We need to sing some, you know, do it again. Dun, 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 dun. We need to sing that like a lot. And we'll do that. You know, he'll do it again. And we'll sing it. And then we'll, we'll have a little camp meeting revival. Everybody get fired up. And then we'll go and we'll charge the city with all of our emotion and all of our, all of our, our hoorah. And Jesus appears to him and says, uh, what you doing, Josh? And Joshua says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm figuring this out. Right? And this is what we all have a need for control. We feel like if we can just figure this thing out, if we can just spin this right, if we can just communicate this in just the right way to those people, if we can just convince those people and that, if we can just figure, I'm trying to figure this out, Lord. I'm trying to do what you want me to do in my own way. And this is where God stands before him and he says, I have come as the captain of the army of the Lord. I'm taking your role. I'm taking your position. And in the very next verse, when Joshua saw that, he fell on his face to the earth and worshiped him. That's why I most believe this is Jesus and not an angel, because he received worship from him. And he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Take your sandal off. That's one, that's one sandal. Sounds kind of weird, right? Because superstitious right uh sounds kind of weird but but in but in that culture to take one sandal off to take one shoe off was a sign of of respect specifically respect that you were in the presence of someone who is greater than you and so and so when you and so when you wanted to show that you would take a nike air 270 off you you take it off and so this is what this is what joshua does joshua takes off one of his shoes now, notice he didn't take off both of his shoes. The, uh, Jesus didn't tell him to take off both of his shoes. He told him to take off one because God doesn't want you to stop walking. He doesn't want to take off all of your shoes so that you just sit back and just, well, I guess God's going to deal with it all. To, to give up the need for control is not to, relinqu not to relinquish your responsibility. 
It's not to say, well, I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to watch God do whatever God's going to do. I saw somebody post on Instagram this week, and they were actually serious, which I thought was kind of funny. But they said, Lord, please take away all of my laziness and, and my um, procrastination. I said, what? okay, so if you struggle with laziness, are you really going to ask God to come do something for you? Is this, is this, this how this works? Lord, would you just take away, would you come and do for me the problem of me asking everybody to do everything for me? Just, just come, just come, just, just do that for me. No, he doesn't take away laziness. He doesn't want to take both your shoes. He doesn't want to give you a, 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 a padded chair for you to sit down and, and just watch, watch him do all this stuff in your life. He wants you to keep walking, but he only wants you to walk with one shoe because when you only walk with one shoe, you have to lean, you have to lean on him. <laughs> He wants you to keep walking, but he wants you to walk like this. Because you've been, he's, the problem isn't that you're walking, Joshua. It's not this, this. Go ahead, check out Jericho. But you've been doing it in your own strength. You've been doing it with your own mentality, and with your own wisdom, and with your own thinking. You're trying to figure it all out. I'm asking you to walk it, but I'm not asking you to run it, to run the thing. I'm not asking you to direct the show. So I'm asking you to take off a shoe so that, so that while you walk, you can, do, you can do what I want you to do in the way that I want you to do it. Joshua's motives are good. He wants to check out Jericho and see how they, can, how they can defeat Jericho. And by all means, absolutely, that's what God wants. But the way that God wants him to do it is different. And God's always doing this. God's always, every time you come up with a brilliant way to do God's will, he always just kiboshes it, doesn't he? Like, doesn't he always find a way to be like, no, that's not going to work. I mean, even stuff that I think, like, like I read scripture, I read about Gideon, right? Gideon uh, had, had, a, had a huge task of rallying troops and fighters who weren't even fighters, but just getting a bunch of farmers together to go attack this other country that was oppressing the Israelites. And God asked Gideon to do it, and Gideon's doing it, and then God comes to him, and God critiques him. Luckily, Gideon wasn't a words of affirmation person, but God doesn't say, good job, man. Check it out. You've got this whole crew. You've got these weapons. You've got this plan, man. Good job. No, God says, um, there's a problem. And Gideon's like, I know, I know. We don't have enough people and we don't have enough weapons. We don't have enough military might. We don't have enough wisdom. We don't have enough commanders and, and uh, you know, generals and stuff. And God says, well, no, actually the problem is you have too many people. And Gideon's like, What? No, I, we, we got some problems, but too many people, that's not our problem. And sometimes, sometimes, because we, sometimes God will look at you and you'll say, yeah, you got some problems. You're like, I know, I know my bank account's kind of low. And he's like, you, you have too much money. That's the problem. Lord, 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 I, I, I know I got some issues. You know, I just, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of, kind of struggling with my health a little bit. Yeah, you're too healthy. That's the problem. You got too much of your own wisdom. You got too much of your own strength. You got too much of your own reliance. You have too much of, of what you have been able to gather and pull together. There's too much of you in this. This is the problem. There's too much of you. And it's not that God doesn't like you. It's just that he wants him to be glorified more than you. And that's what he told Gideon. He said, man, if you guys won the victory now, you would look at each other and high five each other and be like, man, look what we accomplished. What God wants to do is he wants, he wants to bring you to a place that you know you cannot accomplish this on your own so that nobody gets the glory except for God. And so, so the problem uh, for, for Joshua is not that he's checking out the land. It's that he's doing it in his own way. And so God totally flips the script. 
God flips the script and he goes into chapter, if you read chapter six, the angel of the Lord tells Joshua, he's like, we're gonna do this a little differently. What you're gonna do, instead of sneaking off here and checking things out on your own, you're gonna go back to all those people that you left back there at the camp and told them that everything was gonna be wonderful and great and it wasn't, the walls really weren't that big. Like you're gonna go back to those people and you're gonna bring those people right over here to Jericho and we're gonna go on a little hike around the city. And it was a large city. This is not a tiny walk. This is going to take a couple hours. And you're going to walk around it. You're not going to say anything. In fact, you're not allowed to say anything. I just want you to look. I just want you to look. Lord, um, look at what? Look at the wall. (laughs) But Lord, this isn't going to stir up people's faith. I mean, are people really going to, I mean, can we really sing do it again after staring at a wall for two hours, walking around, seeing how big this thing is, seeing how thick it is, the double, you know, wall. And there's like, like, like this is not going to motivate people, Lord. Right? Modern Christianity would not recommend this. It's not a good leadership uh, decision to walk around a wall. No, we're going to have a seminar about how Jesus parted seas and, and brought down, you know, Pharaoh and all that kind of stuff. But no, God says, I want you to walk around the wall. And so, so they walk around the wall. See, because here's the deal. We also have a problem with ambiguity. We also have a problem with, with sort of sketchy plans. And God's like, all right, you don't like sketchy plans? Here's the deal. You're going to walk around the wall. And, and, and he, they, 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 so they walk around the wall. And he's like, okay, you're going to do that again tomorrow. Then you're going to do it again the next day. And for a whole week, we're just going to quietly observe the wall. We're going to walk around the wall so well until you finally figure out that there is no crack in that wall. You're going to walk around that thing so, so much. And then on the seventh day, we're going to walk around seven times. That would literally take all day. I mean, all day. You're going to walk around your, your, your barrier so long until you figure out that nothing's going to break through that barrier except the power of God in your life. That there is no secret passage. There is no, no, no weakness in the wall of Jericho. This sucker hasn't been around for this long with, with, with blemishes and flaws. and You cannot exploit it. I want you to walk around so much until you figured out that all of your wisdom is falling short in this particular area. And then he says, he says in, in, in chapter 6, he says, On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and then... The priest will blow the trumpets. A trumpet is a sign of victory. It's a sign, it's a celebration. And with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people will shout with a great shout. The word shout means a shout for joy, to joyfully celebrate something. So you'll hear the sound of the trumpet, and then I want you to shout for joy, a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat. He doesn't explain how it's going to fall down flat. But Lord, I'm not good with ambiguity. I, I, I need some kind of is it an earthquake. Are we talking, you know, what's going to happen that's going to make the wall? No, I'm not going to tell you that. I'm just going to ask you, one, to walk around your wall. And then I'm going to ask you to stand in front of your wall and declare the victory of God. I'm going to ask you to stand in front of your barrier and declare the goodness of God. And this is, this, is, this is what I want all of us to do as we're, as we're learning to, to lean on Jesus and to trust in Jesus. Part, a big part of that is not avoiding the barriers of our life because the barrier in your life is the very place. The very place of your barrier is the exact same spot of the breakthrough that God wants to bring into your life. 
Like God won't ban barriers in your life because if he bans barriers, he will block your blessings because your blessing is through the barrier. Breakthrough, the word breakthrough means to break through something. You have to have something to break through. So every breakthrough that God brings in your life is on the other side of a barrier that you came to realize you could not break through yourself. And this is what it means to have faith. This is what it means to look into a fear of the unknown that we all experience and to stand in front of that thing, whatever that thing is, whatever that barrier is. It might be, might be a financial barrier. It might, be, it might be a financial barrier where you're bringing in as much money as you can and you're saving. You've been to Dave Ramsey like a couple of times and you're saving as much as you can, but you still don't have enough. To stand in front of the barrier of not enough and say that Jesus is enough and to recognize the sufficiency of Christ in your finances for your needs, that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory, not according to my bank account, that this barrier here that I am standing in front of, this is just simply the, this is the tool that God's using to bring breakthrough in my life in this area. For us, man, we, we experienced that when we first started City Chapel. We started City Chapel in 2015, and we were living uh, out toward Wimberley in San Marcos. So we were driving like 45 minutes just to come get coffee with somebody. And to, every single time that we want to do anything, we started the church, but we were living out there. And so we said, man, we really need to live closer um, to this area. So we began looking for stuff, and everything's really expensive around here. And we don't have a lot of money and because we, we cashed out everything. Uh, I had a little 401k. I cashed that out. I mean, we cashed out everything. And we were getting paid uh, next to nothing. We were getting paid, what, $1,500 a month from the church. And uh, you can't live very long on $1,500. And so uh, we needed a 401k. And we needed, and then, then, our, then our income tax return hit, which was awesome. And we bled through that. I mean, we were, we were, we were not bringing in enough to pay you know, for our mortgage and then, I mean, gas and everything. So it's like, we were, we were not, we were, it wasn't working out and we needed one, a cheaper place. And then we needed a place that was up closer. So how in the world do you do that? So Roe found on Craigslist, 14 acres in Buda. Um, and they were asking way more than we could pay. And so we talked to him and we offered him a hundred thousand less than he was asking. And he said he was, he had full cash offers for what he was asking, but he decided to take our offer because because when you stand in front of your barrier, see, this is, we don't see the miraculous power of God in our lives because we turn around before we get to it. We see that and we go, that's, that's not, that's, that's, that, that's not going to work. We think God leads us via what we call open doors. What usually what we mean by that is favorable prospects. Yeah, that's the Lord led me over there because it felt better to me. And it seemed like it was going to work more. And, and we weren't going by favorable prospects. We were going by, we feel like God's called us to this area. And he's called us to plant a church here. And so we need a home here. And so we found it. And the guy said, sure, I'll take $100,000 off the price. But we need to close in 30 days. And we need 100000 down as a down payment. And I was like, well, we got a thousand in the bank. Well, that, well, that we can, we can write 99 IOUs, I guess. Uh, like dumb and dumber, the whole thing full of IOUs. <laughs> that's a real one. That's a, uh, anyway, uh, you know, I mean, we can like, we can, uh, that's all I got, you know? And um, so we went home. This is a Saturday. And uh, we said, well, well, we'll try. Well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll try. 
And so uh, we told some people that we're going to put our house on the market. And on Monday, I was getting ready to make out the MLS application. And somebody called a friend of a friend. And they said, we heard you're selling your, your place. We want to come look at it. And so Ro was the realtor that day for us. She showed them around. They said, you know, we love it. We want to buy it. How much do you need? She said, we need exactly this much. And they were like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll pay that. And um, we were like, really? We need to close in 28 days. Okay, we can close in 28 days. So in 28 days, we closed on that house in the morning. And at the same place, the next room over, we closed on the new house. We just took our $100,000 check and was like, here you go. And we, we handed it over. And it was, it was just amazing. God just opened up this door for us. And, and the mortgage on this house was half, almost half of the mortgage of our previous house because this is agricultural exemption and we were paying all this money in taxes. And, and now we don't because we have horses and stuff and a lot of poop. And, uh, and it was but it's like, what in the world? Like God is just opening up these doors. But even then, see, God, you, you never get to a place where there are no barriers because then four months later, our house flooded. Two and a half feet of water in there and we lost everything except my shoes because the Lord knew that I needed, I need, I gotta have my shoes. Well, technically it's because that's the last thing I grabbed. I just threw it up on top of the bed and ran out and Rose still a little bitter that I left her shoes there, but hers aren't as expensive as mine. Um, so, you know, but we lost, like it lost everything. And you don't have a bed anymore. You know, all your clothes are nasty. It's just every, two and a half feet of water just flips everything and turns it like this. And then we still had to live there. And so we barred off the bottom half of the house and we were living in, I think it was 600 square feet. That's including our little bathroom, which is the only door in the whole place. And we slept, it was like old schools, like the, you know, the pioneers. We were kind of, uh, we were all living in the same room, you know, the kids and adults. And I was like, <laughs> uh, for a year. And then, you know, FEMA came in and said, we'll give you this loan. And, and God just provided this way for us to have a way better house. Cause the first house was awful anyway. And we knew that we wanted to build. We just didn't have money to build. And so FEMA came in and gave us money to build with 1% interest loan. And I've just seen time and time again, I'm talking about finances here, but I've seen time and time again, it would even, even in, even in our relationships, mine and Rose relate, we shared about this in December where we hit an impasse. We, we, we ran into a barrier. <laughs> Um, it was mostly the fact that she wasn't as holy as me. I mean, that's the main barrier that we were running into. Um, <laughs> whatever. I counsel you guys. You guys all have the same issue too. You married people that weren't as humble as you. You married people that weren't as wise as you. We won't talk about the fact that you chose them. We won't, we won't, we won't, we won't, we won't go there. But uh, no, we all like, like, no, it's, that's a problem in a relationship. Like you feel like you're doing everything. And there are times where I felt like I was doing everything. And so I just prayed and said, God, you know what? Either you need to change her heart or you need to help me see that I need to change my heart. Like I, something's got to give. I'm in a barrier. But what many people do is they see that barrier and they just, they turn around. They either leave the marriage, leave the relationship, or they stop communicating about stuff. There's certain topics we can't talk about. There's certain things I can't address because, well, we know where that leads. It just leads in this. And so, 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 yeah, you might stay together, but you're not, you're not connected like you were because there's this barrier between you. It's unforgiveness from the past. It's fear of the future. It's lack of trust. 
There's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of this financial barriers that I've, I've stood. But the key is you got to stand in front of the thing. You got to walk around it a lot. You got to stand. You got to have a, a commitment that I'm going to stand in front of this and declare the goodness of God over this. That God didn't bring me and Roe together so that we could just kind of tolerate each other for the kids until we die. This is not what God wanted. God didn't bring us, God didn't have us plan a church so that we'd be driving from Wimberley every stinking day to meet with people. No, we need a place to live. And then, then with the church, when a year ago, when God called us to start looking for a building, and you know, we didn't have a whole lot of money to invest in a building or to get a building. But you, we just simply said, we believe this is what God's calling us to do. So we're going to walk around this barrier because the breakthrough is right there. Like the breakthrough is right there in the barrier. And every single breakthrough in my life, whether it's financial or relational or with the church, every breakthrough has come on the other side of something that I thought I couldn't cross, the barrier. And so, Lord, I just speak over these people. I just pray for them that every barrier that they're facing in their life, that they won't turn to some form of superstition, whether actual superstition or some Christianized version of it, but that they will simply stand in front of the, the barrier that's blocking them and just continue to declare the goodness of God, to continue to worship you and celebrate what you have already done that we cannot see. You are working behind the scenes. We believe that you're able. We believe that you're good. We don't have to tug at your heartstrings to get you to do good stuff for us. You are a good dad. You are a good father. And we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't need the trinkets and the good luck charms. We simply need your presence in our life. And so we celebrate you. We rejoice with singing. We rejoice with shouting. We smile, not because we're faking it, but because we truly believe that you are in control. We are not in control. We are leaning on you. We're walking the walk that you've called us to walk. But while we do that, we're leaning on the everlasting arms for everything, for everything that we cannot do for ourselves. We believe that you are able and fully willing to do for us. You desire us to be healed. You desire for us to be provided for. You desire for us to be blessed. You desire for us to be holy. You desire for us to be witnesses. You desire for us to reach people here in this community. You desire all of these good things. So we stand in front of every barrier and we declare your goodness and your desire and your intention. We believe that you're good and we've already decided to trust you. <laughs> we put our faith firmly in the word of God and in the person of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.